Right now, we are in the middle of a, a series called The Story. Uh, so far in our overview series of, uh, of, this, of God's story, we've divided the Old Testament into uh, three volumes. And so if you're here for the first time or you've been away for a while, we're, um, we're going through the entire Bible in 31 weeks. And our objective is to, um, you know, normally when we study a passage of Scripture, it's kind of like walking through a forest and you're walking down a path and, and you're discovering uh, all the things around you. This verse here, this word here, what does this phrase mean? And how does this apply to my life? And so it's kind of like taking a walk through the woods. Uh, what we're doing in this series is we're actually getting in a helicopter. We're, we're getting above the whole forest, and rather than looking through the individual passages, we're looking at the whole thing and seeing how it's all put together. And in 31 weeks, we're going through the entire Bible. Uh, we're not going to look at every passage and every detail, but we're trying to get an overview of, of how everything is put together. And so um, we've divided things into five volumes, so we can kind of handle a little bit. Not that the Bible is split up into those five volumes, but um, to kind of break down, here's where, how things fit together. We've taken these, these five volumes, and these first three volumes cover the entire Old Testament. The first volume covers much more time than the others, and essentially it takes us over, through over 2,500 years of, of human history and God's work among men that he called to believe in him, that he called the faith. And it covers those first five books of the Bible, and we go from the creation of the universe to the creation of the nation of Israel as they journey to the promised land. The core narrative of volume two is also told in five books of the Bible, and it takes us through the first 500 years of Israel's history as a nation. Joshua led the people into the promised land. They lived as a loosely connected group of tribes for a few centuries and under the rule of several judges. And, and then uh, they were united, the entire nation, under its first three kings. And we've seen Saul and David and Solomon. And, and so finally, we're, we're now in this next last 500 years of the Old Testament period, uh, roughly contained in another five, five books of the Old Testament as far as the history goes. And of course, there's a lot of other books that have poetry and, and prophecies that were being written throughout these times. But we have these, um, this core story that we've been following. And we saw that after Solomon died, the nation split into two. Uh, there was a northern kingdom, which had uh, how many kings over the northern kingdom of Israel? Nineteen. Very good. And, and how many of those kings did what was right in the sight of the Lord? Zero, zero. Not one of those 19 kings over, over 200 years did what was right in God's sight. And then in Judah, the southern kingdom, it was ruled by the descendants of David, one dynasty that went through that entire period. And, and we saw how many kings in that dynasty after Solomon? We saw, um, yeah, five that did what was right in the sight of the Lord, uh, three others that did right part of that time. So there's, there was eight that... that um, that at least were doing some, some good things for a while that weren't considered evil their entire reign. But how many kings total were there over the entire dynasty of David? Yeah, 20. 20, plus David and Solomon. Good, good. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. As we go through that period uh, of, of these kings, we're, we're going to advance our way through this period of 19 and 20 kings, and we're going to return to the prophets, which we considered last week. And I'm going to provide a few summaries that, that are going to kind of help us with that, that helicopter over this portion of the forest that we're hovering over. And um, we're going to see what's going on in the, in the upper story from God's perspective. But down the lower story, as you're considering how people were living their lives and what was going on in Israel and, and, and what ministry looked like in those days, 
we're going to spend a bulk of our time this morning just reading through some of these prophecies from the, from the prophets. I'm going to read some sermons to you. And, and I promise to you that these sermons are great. I, I know they are because these sermons are, have been recorded in Scripture and they come from God Himself. We've learned uh, that these prophets, uh, they had a lot of different roles that they served. Uh, sometimes um, they performed miracles. Sometimes they predicted the future. Uh, they prayed for other individuals. But by and large, uh, what was their primary role in Israel? What was the main job of a prophet? What's that? Warnings. Warnings. Yeah, I heard somebody else say something over here. Messengers, yeah, they were preachers. These are guys that preached sermons. They warned people of, of what was, was coming, or they encouraged people, they comforted people. If you can think of what typically goes into a sermon and what you expect from a sermon or what a sermon should be, uh, that's what the prophet was called to do. They were preachers. And so we're going to listen to a few of those today, um, but I want you to listen to these sermons with, with four ears. And here's what I mean by that. I'd like you to consider each sermon from the context that it was written in. I want you to listen to each sermon with two ears of an ancient Israelite and put yourself in their shoes and try to think through what's going on in their culture, in their world. We're going to give a little bit of context for each one, but, but what would they have been thinking when they heard these messages preached for the first time? And of course, I want you to consider each sermon in the context that you live in right now. God's Word is living. It's active. When, when we read through any portion of Scripture, we need to read it, understanding this is God's Word. And it isn't just something that was written to people thousands of years ago. It is relevant for me today. It's relevant for you today. And, and though we are separated by this large, large um, our, our, the context that we live in, and we sometimes have to really dive down to really study you know, what's going on here, uh, God's Word is relevant, and, and, and it addresses the problems and the sins of the 21st century. It's alive. It's able to dissect your life and mine. And so listen with your own ears and allow God's Spirit to do the surgery that these messengers, through these messages of the ancient prophets. I also want to remind you as we spend a bit more time reading Scripture today, uh, sometimes it's easy to kind of let our minds wander away. There's a, a prophecy that was also given in Revelation, a promise. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, he wrote this. He said, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who, keeps, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And I think that certainly applies to the book of Revelation, but I think it also applies to all of God's word as we read God's Word, as we listen to God's Word, but most importantly, that we would take God's Word and we would apply it to our lives. And so as we read through some of these passages, let's be sure that, that we, as we listen to these ancient sermons, that we say, what's in this for me today? How do I need to change? What do I need to look like as a result of what I hear from this ancient prophet that spoke these words so long ago? Well, our first sermon, it takes place around the year 762. Uh, we're told that it was two years before the great earthquake. Israel had split into two kingdoms about 170 years before this. So we've, we've advanced a, a, a couple centuries in, in a couple weeks' time. Uh, we're going to journey to the northern kingdom where the ten, the ten tribes are ruled by, by King Jeroboam II. 
Gone are the days of Elijah and Elisha, those two great prophets that performed all those miracles in the book of 1 Kings. They lived about a century before this. The prophet Jonah is wandering around somewhere. You might see him. You'll know him because he's probably still bleached a little bit from being in the fish for so long. Um, but he's preaching on a different corner. Uh, but we're not going to hear Jonah today. Instead, we're going to go hear the words of a poor shepherd, a man who was a prophet also, and his name was Amos. Amos is so poor that he raises sheep, and that's not enough to provide for his basic needs. And so he's kind of probably an under-shepherd that's taking care of somebody else's sheep, and he's a, uh, he may have been hired on by someone else. But, but uh, we know that he was poor because he was, he was doing a second job while he was taking care of the sheep. He was, he was uh, prepping figs, and uh, he, he tells us and gives a hint of this a little bit later on in the book. Uh, and so probably he was getting a few pennies for each fig that he scratched, and, and it would help it to ripen. It was a grueling job. It was a, uh, a boring job. And, uh, and it was a poor man's job. He, he wasn't making a lot of money doing this. And he certainly, in the northern kingdom, probably wasn't supplementing his income very well as a prophet either. Especially in a nation where all the kings were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Amos's message, it begins with several warnings. Seven warnings, in fact, for all the surrounding kingdoms. Which you kind of like to hear when you're, when you're hearing a message. You don't, you don't like it, hearing a message where it's, it's pointed right at you, Right? When, when the preacher starts getting personal and starts calling out your personal sins, yeah, that's just a little much, isn't it? And so Amos, he, um, he's preaching about all the kingdoms around Israel. And, and so if you're sitting in that audience, you'd be looking around, you're probably seeing a lot of people going, uh-huh, yeah, preach it, Amos, that's right, amen. You know, those, those Ammonites, yeah, those are wicked people. Oh, and Judah, the southern kingdom, we don't like them anymore. Yeah, we split from them a long time ago. So you tell us about all their sins. And so he, he kind of goes in a, a clockwise circle around the nation of Israel and he addresses the sins of all these different kingdoms. And then you're going to see that he's going to turn his attention to make it personal and he's going to get to Israel. And so um, he's already started his sermon. We've missed the first few minutes. But um, he's, he's already preached through the first judgments of four nations. But listen as he calls out the sins of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Judah. And then pay attention um, and then pay attention, uh, actually, as he's starting on, on some of the things for Israel. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob. And so he turns now to Israel and declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, then on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish. And the great houses shall come to an end, declares Yahweh. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through their breaches and one, each one straight ahead. And you shall, cast, you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares Yahweh. Come to Bethel 
and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I also withheld the rain from you. When there were yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and on the field on which it did not rain, it would wither. And so two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I overthrew some of you. And when, as when God overthrows Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, Yahweh, the God of hosts, is His name. Amos kind of let him have it, didn't he? It's a message we need to hear as well sometimes. As we examine sin in our own lives. Jonah and Amos and Hosea preached sermons that the northern kingdom needed to hear. Yet, the people would not listen. And the kings would not listen. God warned their leaders and the kings that their nation was going to fall. And He gave them opportunity. And for over 200 years, he, he, he was patient with them. He continued to give them opportunities, but they continued to worship their idols. They continued to oppress the poor. They even sacrificed their own children on some of the altars of the pagan gods and burned them alive. And then in 722 B.C., the Assyrians arrived with the army of King Shalmaneser and they captured Samaria. The kingdom fell, and just like Amos had prophesied, uh, they put hooks in their noses, and they would chain them to one another, and they carried them all the way across to the other side of Mesopotamia. Single file, walking in line as they crossed the land. Never to return again. Uh, only a few of the, the poorest people of the land were left to scavenge the earth and what, what it would grow on its own. And so the northern kingdom of Israel, it, it had lasted for over just 200 years before God brought judgment, and he sent them away into exile. And scholars still debate today where, where they all ended up. A, a few made it back, and the Samaritans uh, are, are those that came back to the land or were still living in the land that ended up marrying some of the Gentiles. And, and you know the story from the New Testament, perhaps, about the Samaritans. But um, the people, for the most part, never came home. It's about that same time and into the next generation that one of Israel's greatest prophets, 
preached God's word, and he penned the book that's named after him, one of the most eloquent and one of the most beautiful of all the books of the Bible. Isaiah preached God's word for some 60 years, warning the southern kingdom of Judah that the same fate would come to them if they didn't turn from their sin. He preached a message of God's judgment, but it was also a message of redemption. It was a message of darkness and wrath, but it was also a message of hope and grace. In fact, uh, many people look at Isaiah, which has 66 chapters, and they call it the Little Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible and 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's 39 chapters in the Old Testament, and primarily in Isaiah, the first 39 chapters focused on the judgment that was going to be coming and the salvation that was prophesied. Uh, And then in the last 27 books of of the Bible, we have the New Testament, and in the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, uh, we have a message of salvation that God was going to bring. Isaiah's tone changes a lot in those chapters. And so oftentimes Isaiah is called the the little book, the little Bible. Um, But Isaiah preached God's word for some 60 years. It's quite a long time to be a preacher. 60 years, several kings... He warned them that the same fate would come to them if they didn't return, uh, turn from their sin. Again, he preached a message of God's judgment, but also a message of, to the people uh, of redemption. People who failed to comprehend God's holiness and who were in need of His mercy and His grace. Uh, this time, as we listen to this sermon, uh, we walk through the streets of Jerusalem. People are busy about their, their business They're in the market or in the temple, uh, which stands over this great city. And somewhere near the Temple Mount or the Palace of Ahaz, you can hear the words of God's prophet as he preaches about the Lord filing a lawsuit against Judah. Again, he's already started his sermon, so let's listen as he continues, uh, starting in verse 12. He says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts, bring no more vain offerings, Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I, I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says Yahweh. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red, red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. 
Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore the Lord declares, Yahweh of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake Yahweh shall be consumed for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water and the strong shall become tender and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Well, Isaiah wasn't much easier on us than, than Amos was, was he? He had preached a message that people needed to hear, and sometimes we need to hear about our own sin. We, we, we look at, at, at all the offerings we make and the things we do, the churches we go to, the, all, all the things that, that look nice in our lives, but sometimes there's that closet in the house that needs to be opened. That God says, hey, we're going to do some work on this. And that's what Isaiah was preaching about. And they'd been, they'd been preaching this message for many years, and the people continued to not listen. But Isaiah continued to, to serve. He preached many messages of woe. He preached many messages of impending judgment. He warned Judah of the captivity that was going to come upon them, that it would be similar to that which would happen in Israel just a few years earlier. God would deliver them after that captivity came, and, and he would... He would bring about their salvation and they would return to the land. He prophesied all this a, centuries, a century before it ever happened, 150 years before they were even taken captive. And he prophesied exactly how it would take place. And Isaiah, actually, we're not going to read it today, but he actually prophesied the name of the individual who proclaimed that they would return to the land. He mentions Cyrus a couple hundred years before Cyrus was even born. But he also preached to them often of the Lord's salvation. We need to hear about our sin, don't we? We need to know and be called to, to righteousness. We need to, to be told that, that this isn't right, that isn't right, and we need to respond to what the Lord says. But we also need to hear a message of salvation. We need to know what God has done about our sin. If, if, if all you ever hear about is, is the message of sin and God's judgment, um, that leaves you in a bad place. Thankfully, the prophets also told us that God has made provision, that God has provided for our salvation. And Isaiah tells them how after the captivity that he would deliver them and, and how after that terrible day of the Lord, he would bring salvation to his kingdom. And so listen to the words of the judgment and the salvation that Isaiah proclaimed and are now recorded in chapter 52. Jumping forward a little bit, it's a few years later, but Isaiah is still preaching and he says, For thus says Yahweh, you were sold for nothing, and you, will, you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares Yahweh, 
seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares Yahweh, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of Yahweh to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Yahweh has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Then just a few verses later, he preaches one of the most amazing prophecies of the Bible. It was probably all part of the same sermon. It's a message of God's salvation. It's a message about God's servant. And over the next few years, people would read this prophecy and they would ask questions of who is the servant? And a lot of people had questions about, you know, is the servant Israel? Is Israel who Isaiah is talking about? Or is this a specific individual? In fact, later on in the book of Acts, if you remember, oh, help me out, is it Stephen or Philip? Philip, isn't it? Was that? Is it Philip? All right. Philip is called out to wilderness. And there's an Ethiopian eunuch in a uh, chariot. And, and the chariot, um, the chariot's not listening, the, the person in the chariot's listening. Uh, this eunuch is, is reading Isaiah, some of these very passages. And, and he asks Philip, he, Philip says, do you, do you know what you're, what you're reading? And he says, how can, I, how can I understand it unless somebody preaches to me, helps me to explain it? And, and he says, who's the servant? Is, is this Israel? Is this a person or is this a nation? And, and he was trying to figure all this out. But uh, looking back, I think as we read this chapter, uh, you'll recognize who this is talking about. It's a message about salvation, about God's servant. It's a message about His suffering. And it's a message about how this Messiah would accomplish the salvation which, uh, which Isaiah had just proclaimed a few verses earlier and how that salvation would come. Listen to one of the most precise prophecies in the Bible of what Jesus, the servant king, the suffering servant, what he would come to do and accomplish. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 52, the prophet proclaims, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind so shall he sprinkle many nations kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of yahweh been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned. Every one to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken of the transgre- for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge that the righteous... By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You know, from a human perspective, you, you might listen to the prophets. You might see the response most of the time to those prophets and how Israel and Judah continued in their sin. They'd hear a prophecy of the coming Messiah and how He was going to suffer on our behalf and how He was going to save us. And they still often, usually, wandered the other way. And from a human perspective, when you looked at these things and the falling of Samaria in the north in 722, Next week, we're going to look at the fall of of Jerusalem in the year 586, a couple hundred years later almost. And it oftentimes appeared as if God's plan had failed. From the the lower story, it looked like things weren't going according to God's plan. It's been hundreds of years, centuries, since God had made those wonderful promises to Abraham. Do you remember those? That Abrahamic covenant? We saw the Davidic covenant. Even all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God had prophesied and predicted that, that one would come that would make a provision for sin, that would crush the head of the serpent, though the serpent would also provide a fatal blow and bruise his heel. You see, ever since man first sinned, God hasn't been in the process of redeeming man. 
He's been in the process and shown us from the very beginning that he has a plan. But from a human perspective, the Israelites could have been looking at all these and hearing the message of Amos and hearing the message of Isaiah and all the other prophets and seeing the judgment that had come upon them and wondered, has God's promises failed? The people walked in darkness. Again, eventually the northern kingdom fell and the people were hauled away in chains. And now the prophets were predicting, predicting that the same thing was going to happen to Judah even though they would return to the land after a period of time. From an earthly perspective, it oftentimes appeared like the story had failed. God's promises had not come true. But in the midst of shepherding His people, there was always a remnant who were people of faith. People who trust, whose trust was not in their own might, Their trust was not in their own righteousness, but whose trust was in their God. A God who promised their salvation. A God who promised their deliverance. A God who promised an answer to sin. And just like in the New Testament times and the church age that we live, people were saved by faith in the Old Testament. Again, we have this this perception oftentimes that the Old Testament, people were saved by their works, and then the New Testament, people were saved by by grace. That's kind of what you hear sometimes, isn't it? But the message of salvation has always been the same. From Adam and Eve all the way to the end, salvation is by grace through faith. And it's in Christ alone. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and and how God was going to provide for their sin. In our day, we look back and, and we see the provision that God made on the cross and how Jesus died on the cross for our sin. But salvation has always been by God's grace, something good that He gives to us that we don't deserve. It's always been by grace. It's always been through believing in Him. It's in Christ alone. I'm not believing that my works will save me. I'm believing that what Jesus did saves me. And I'm putting all of my trust in Him. And so in the midst of shepherding His people, there was always this remnant who believed. These people of faith. This God had promised to redeem His people from their sin. And here in Isaiah 53, we have one of the most spectacular prophecies which predicts that the Messiah would come to serve and that indeed He would come and He would be crushed for us. Our iniquities, our sins were put on Him because not one of us could pay for our own sins. Not one of us could handle the price. And that leaves us all destined for hell. But because God loved us so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus took our iniquities upon Himself. And salvation is yours if you only believe what God did for you through His Son. We're told that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. That's us. He was numbered with us. He lived with us. We've been watching throughout this whole series how God, was a God is a God who wants to be with His people. And, and much as literally as it can be and, and, and in such a real way, Jesus actually came to live among us. He was numbered with us. He became a, a man. He became human. But He also was numbered with the transgressors in that when He was on the cross, all of our sin was put on Him and He was considered the transgressor. God poured all of His wrath out on the Son. All the sin and all the judgment that I deserved and that you deserved, Jesus bore Himself. And though He had never sinned, never done any wrong, 
he became the one who was punished as the transgressor. But in so doing, he would bear our sin and he would intercede for our transgressions. Jesus made a way. In fact, as Jesus proclaimed, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as the Lord was orchestrating all of this, even in the midst of human rebellion, even in the midst of a rebellious nation like the northern kingdom of Israel who had 19 kings and all of them were evil. Not one did what was right inside of the Lord. And even in the midst of a southern kingdom where there were 20 kings after Solomon and, and David, and only five of them were declared as having done right in the sight of the Lord. Even in the midst of all this, the Lord was directing all of human history. He was directing the, the course of events towards the central event of the entire story. The central event of all of human history. All of this is moving towards that one thing. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the good news was preached about by the prophets. And, and it was preached that we also might hear of it in the New Testament. That the Lord did provide for our salvation. Not just salvation from suffering, not just salvation from sickness and, and, and human trials, not just suffering, uh, salvation from human oppression and sickness, but salvation from the penalty and the power and eventually even the very presence of sin. By the power of the cross and the proof that was demonstrated at the empty tomb that Jesus rose from, Jesus conquered death and he conquered our ancient enemy, Satan. So this morning, um, I know I've done very little preaching and let these guys do the preaching for me. That's probably kind of lazy, right? They say it so much better than I could. This morning, I'd like to just close with the words of another of Isaiah's sermons. And as we apply these things and we live these things out and listen to these messages of, of warning and these messages of salvation and grace, and as we consider how do I live this out, uh, listen to the words of God's salvation that are described in Isaiah 54, and we'll close with this if the praise team wants to come forward. Isaiah chapter 54, starting in verse 6. The prophet said, Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Father in heaven, we, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the messages of these men, these prophets. We thank you for the examples that we learn from this period of, uh, of history in Israel and Judah. And Father, I, I pray that, that we would not be as so many who have come before us who heard these words and many other words like them and it fell on deaf ears. But Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you would give us minds to understand. And, and Father, I pray that your spirit would move in us that we would respond to your call for repentance, that we would respond 
to your call to believe. Father, if there's any of my friends here that don't know you, maybe they hear these words and, and realize that there is impending judgment, but they don't have the solution. I pray that today would be the day that they would receive the salvation that only comes in your Son. And right where they're sitting, I pray that you would save them as they cast their faith on you, as they cast their faith on what your Son accomplished for, on their behalf when he took their iniquity. we go out from here might we live in that faith trusting you in each moment for the provision that you give to us each day not just for our salvation not just from salvation from the the penalty of sin but also salvation from the power of sin in our lives and might we live out by your grace and through faith might we live out lives that would be that we would walk in obedience and and that we would enjoy the relationship that you seek to have with us as you still seek to be with us to know us it's in jesus name we pray amen